Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Oh, Connecticut, some residents say they've had it with how state government operates or the cost of living, among other frustrations. Putting that all aside, what's not to love? Certainly tourists enjoy visiting Connecticut. Recent stats show tourism spending is up and contributing billions to the local economy. At the same time, officials have killed the state's marketing slogan, still revolutionary, that was launched back in 2012 under former Governor Malloy, and back then it got mixed reviews. Tourism officials say they won't immediately replace it with another phrase. So today where we live, how should state leaders market this beautiful and historic place we call home? What's your take? You can join us, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I want to welcome our first guest, David Corus, Deputy Commissioner of Connecticut's Department of Economic and Community Development, also known as the DECD. David, welcome to our show. Great. Thanks so much for having me, Lisa. So I mentioned Still Revolutionary and the news uh, that uh, state officials are... Uh, officially putting that aside, no longer the marketing slogan for the state of Connecticut. Uh, this is happening at the same time where we're seeing tourism um, actually increasing in the state, and that generates um, hundreds of millions of dollars in state and local taxes alone. So why the decision to put Still Revolutionary on the shelf? Sure. So, you know, first and foremost, I want to make clear that, you know, the tagline is a very small component of our overall marketing strategy. Um, we have a brand that's uh, market tested and research based, and then we have a series of campaigns that are built off of that brand. Some for economic development, some for tourism. They're seasonal in nature. You know, right now you'll see a lot of our summer branding for for what we can do, or excuse me, our summer campaign for what you can do here in the state. And the tagline is a very small piece of that. We don't even use it on all our materials. And so, with all the controversy shaping up, you know, we really ultimately decided, working with our stakeholders and and peers around the state, that it was much easier to just abandon that in the near term and focus on the aspects of the campaign that were not as distracting and we know we're creating success. So you mentioned that there's a brand. What is Connecticut's brand? Yeah, absolutely. So um, about uh, six years ago or so, um, we did a lot of market research. Um, we did focus groups both within and out of the state, businesses and residents, prospective residents and prospective visitors. And a couple things emerged from that process. Um, one, that you know Connecticut was uh, you know a, a source of new ideas and innovation, um, but perhaps more importantly, this idea that Connecticut blended sort of the best of both worlds. We kept hearing that, you know, you could hike in the hills and go to the beach. You could see history, but also um, something modern. You could have a great night out, but also a relaxing day at the spa. And so it was that juxtaposition of complementary contrasts that really underpinned um, what we wanted to tell the world about Connecticut. And so when you see our um, campaigns that pair together kind of new and old or quiet and entertaining or, um, you know, uh, innovative and, and historic. Uh, that's really the fundamental aspect of our brand. Mm. I uh, mentioned this report from the DECD, the Economic Impact of Tourism. That's looking at what happened in 2017. So what do the numbers show us? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, tourism is the eighth largest industry in the state. 
It directly employs over 80,000 people, and the indirect employment is an additional 40,000 or so. Uh, it's a $15.5 billion uh, uh, industry, and it's growing uh, incrementally every year. Uh, it's not growing as fast as some of our peers nationally, um, but that's largely due to the fact that we're not spending as much in marketing as we had in the past. Um, but the good news is it is a significant industry. It is growing. And we are continuing to attract visitors. When we talk about uh, visitors who are coming here, who are they? It's a broad range of folks. Um, you know, we actually are getting much better information than we used to have in the past. So, you know, there's a lot of talk about early campaigns, whether it's billboards, which we still do, and print advertising, which we still do to some extent. But now that we have digital advertising and social media, there's a lot more uh uh, fine-grained information that you can get about who's coming and why and what advertising they're responding to. And so our target audiences really range from, you know, Philadelphia up to Boston. Um, those markets, uh, you know, have a diverse range of, of folks that are looking for a diverse range of experiences. Um, but we know uh, through our, we have a new software program that we use, as many other states do, called Arrivalist, which actually tells us what ads people click on and if they click on the ad, how likely they are and whether or not they come to the state. Mm -hmm. So for example, we know that uh, people who are exposed to our marketing campaigns come to the state of Connecticut six times more regularly than people who aren't. Not six times more likely to come. We actually know that they click on our ad and then they come to the state of Connecticut. Mm -hmm. When you talk about the ads, uh, David, are they ads highlighting our museums, our history, the recreation, uh, the beauty of our state? I'm, I'm just curious of yeah, what is it that all, brings people all, here? Yeah, sure. It's, it's all the above. Um, so there's about 4,000 experiences, uh, including places to eat, places to stay, places to play that are on our website. And we highlight many of those 4,000 in our advertising. Um, there's also curated itineraries. So a lot of what we hear now is that you know people are not just looking for a restaurant or a museum. They're looking for a day trip and what you know combination of activities they can string together. And so we have individual uh, activities and, and restaurants and venues, but we also have strung together itineraries. And, and it's really across the board, right? There, there's folks who want to come for the urban experience. New Haven was just highlighted as one of the most vibrant, walkable urban communities in the country. Um, but then there's Folks who want to come to a you know secluded retreat and on the coastline or, or up in the hills, wineries, microbreweries, et cetera, and it's that it's that juxtaposition and diversity that that really draws people here. You're hearing David Corus in studio with me, Deputy Commissioner of Connecticut's Department of Economic and Community Development, as we talk about how the state is going to move forward, continuing to uh, attract and market uh, the state to tourists. You can join us, too. Uh, you can uh, find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live, or give us a call, 860-275-7266. Uh, Dan told us on Facebook that the state should market to millennials and young families. Is that something that's being done, David? Absolutely, and, and something that we want to do more of. Um, we've been in conversations, and the, and the governor has been, um, you know, very vocal about the desire to tap into the ideas from diverse constituencies and to market to diverse audiences. And something that we've talked about launching is a actual tapping into our millennial 
student body at our state universities and at the University of Connecticut College and University system that have marketing departments. And who better to help us understand how best to communicate to millennials than millennials? And we have this resource here in the state, and we're going to be working with them to, to hone that message because it is an important audience for us. Uh, you mentioned, David, that uh, spending uh, has declined. Uh, I believe uh, the DECD fact sheet says 73 percent uh, since 2012. Uh, why is that happening if we know uh, tourism brings in billions of dollars to uh, businesses as well as uh, over $960 million for state and local taxes? The state's getting a benefit. So why is that uh, not a priority to put more spending towards this? Sure. Well, so first and foremost, I think we're very um, pleased that the governor's budget and the legislature's proposed budget um, maintain the levels of spending that we've had the last few years. Um, There has been a decline since uh, the peak in in the early 2010s. Um, And this is an investment that creates a solid return. But as you know, as well as, as everyone in the state with difficult budget negotiations, right, there have to be gives and takes. And uh, this is an investment that we know creates a return. Every additional dollar spent will result in more money for the general fund. Um, But maintaining at the level that we're at allows us to be strategic in our digital marketing and to target those resources to the audiences that we know create the greatest return. So because the state is spending less uh, on tourism, really the burden falls on these local attractions uh, in specific towns and cities. You must hear from them frustrations about that, David. Yeah, we do. And and it's a, you know, it's a classic public private partnership where, you know, we work with our uh, venues across the state uh, to reinforce what they're doing in some instances to carry that burden, but we also look to them to act as an extension of us. And so, um, you know, in times where the state budget is lower, we do expect that the bigger venues will supplement that statewide marketing with their own. Um, but the key is to do it in a coordinated fashion, um, which is why we interact closely with uh, museums and attractions across the state to make sure that who's re- whoever's resources are being spent, we're all sharing that same message and incrementally building the brand together. Mm-hmm. You can join our conversation here on Where We Live, 860-275-7266. Ernest is calling from Farmington. Ernest, go ahead. Hi, Lucy. Thanks. Uh, I just had a few questions for uh, David. Uh, How did his office actually come up with the statistics of the actual visitors themselves and the um, number of people that actually are um, the subordinates to that? In other words, the visitors themselves, but you said uh, there's other employment uh, like hotel staff, or even if they go to the Mark Twain House or the Harry Beecher Stowe House, do you include that as the uh, people that are also working, like the people that offer the tours? The second thing is that uh, now with the Aer Lingus nonstop flight from Dublin, it's been flying since 2016, September. Are there any records now of the incoming passengers? And uh, where they've been going and what they've been doing and how much they've been spending. And are there any tour operators that actually work with them, the Connecticut tour operators that come in? But thanks for taking my call. Thank you. Great. Yeah, thanks so much for those questions. So um, there's a couple different answers. So a lot of the uh, economic impact uh, analysis is done by independent third-party research. Um, We contract with an organization called Tourism Economics, um, and they do the analysis about job creation and tax revenue, and which is a, a service that they provide to to states and organizations 
uh, around the uh, world. Uh, so that that's the independent third-party analysis there. In terms of visitation, um, as I mentioned, we have a, a, a software program that we utilize called Arrivalist, which actually allows us to see uh, where people who had clicked on our advertising enter the state, what attractions they go to, how long they stay for. And that allows us to say definitively that those who are exposed to our digital advertising come to the state six times more than those who do not, and they stay for three and a half times longer. Uh, regarding Aer Lingus, I, I apologize, I don't actually have the information um, directly in front of me, but I can say that um, we do have uh, information about the results of that of that connection. It's been a very positive one for us. And in terms of uh, tour providers, we regularly do what are called FAM tours, familiarization tours, uh, where we take tour providers on uh, managed itineraries that they then market back to their home communities. And so there is a robust uh, aspect of the industry that does exactly what you're suggesting. John's calling from Simsbury. John, go ahead. Hi. Um, so one of the things that I love about being in Connecticut is the accessibility to everything in New England. I, you know, two hours I'm, I'm in New Hampshire, two hours, three hours I'm in New York City, two hours I'm in Boston. And that, that's why I live here. I'm from Texas originally and uh, came up uh, almost 20 years ago, and, and I, I, I love it here. Um, marketing ourselves as the hub, the gateway, the, the, the central location of New England where you can day trip anywhere and you don't have to hassle with the high hotel prices of, uh, of the cities or the hassle of the cities that you're in the country – you can take day trips everywhere, but that's really for out-of-state uh, tourists. And then even for people locally, concentrate, you know, people regionally, I should say, concentrating on what Connecticut itself has to offer, which is amazing the, between the, the parks, the historical uh, stuff that, that you have in the state, farmer's markets. There's just there's tons of stuff. I don't, you know, coming from the outside, I don't understand why people down Connecticut so much. Thank you, John, uh, for your comment. Uh, David, uh, John and others who live in the state, uh, they know uh, what makes this uh, state a great place to live. So I'm curious, when you make the decisions uh, uh, moving forward on how to market, who are the people that are making these decisions? Are they listening to uh, residents? Yeah, they, we, we absolutely are. Um, it's all research-based. Um, it's a combination of kind of what we hear from key stakeholders within the state, what we hear from focus groups. And over the course of the development of the brand, there were focus groups and, and research conducted out of state as well to better understand um, what you know, our prospective visitors from Boston or Philadelphia or New York are looking for. Um, but it's also the ongoing uh, feedback and metrics that we get from, again, our digital advertising so that we know, you know, what people are and are not clicking on. Uh, so it's that combination of uh, sort of informal uh, focus groups that we do regularly within the state, uh, out, out of state um, information gathering, and then the feedback that we get in metrics digitally. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. With me today, David Corris, Deputy Commissioner of Connecticut's Department of Economic and Community Development. Uh, coming up, we're going to hear more about how Connecticut should market itself uh, to tourists and what we could learn from other states. We also want to hear from you. What are your ideas to highlight the state's best qualities and stories within our border? Join the conversation, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. 
This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. What can Connecticut learn from other states as it looks to bring in more tourism dollars? That's one of the questions we're exploring today with my in-studio guest, David Corris, Deputy Commissioner of Connecticut's Department of Economic and Community Development. Now, what are things that you'd like to see officials highlight about our state? Join us, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. We also wanted to hear some local perspectives, especially from attractions like museums, about uh, their take on how the state should market them. So joining us by phone now is Bob Burns, director of the Mattituck Museum in Waterbury, Connecticut. Bob, welcome to our show. Thank you, Lucy. Good morning. So you were the director, became the director of the Mattituck Museum around the time Still Revolutionary was introduced. And, and I understand the slogan's part of the museum's advertising effort. So when you hear that the state uh, tourism officials are putting Still Revolutionary on the shelf, and what's your response? Uh, it's almost no response. Uh, it was never something that we we focused on specifically, but because we wanted to be supportive to the state tourism, uh, as, as David was speaking of before, we all are trying to work together to say the same message. We, of course, included Still Revolutionary as a part of our advertising. Uh, so uh, when we think about that uh, message, uh, we, how did you respond? You said that you didn't really respond. But personally, as somebody that is looking to have tourists come in, was Still Revolutionary too narrow in your view? Well, I would say when it was first introduced, uh, it was, uh, and as a person coming into the state from New York at that time, it felt a very narrow uh, uh, tagline because when you think of New England and you think of revolutionary, it's nearly impossible not to think of the Revolutionary War, which is great, and that's a part of our story, even a part of the Mattituck Museum story, but it's not the whole story. Uh, I like that the then governor was trying to say also the Industrial Revolution, because as a, history, a history and art museum that tells the history of, of manufacturing in the Nogsuk Valley, we could really get on board with the Industrial Revolution part of that as well. But it, again, for the outside visitor, for the people back in New York that were talking to me about you know the new state that I was living in and the new place I was working, they kept saying, why is your state focusing on the Revolutionary War? <laughs> so <laughs> I, I think it was a bit of a leap for everyone outside of, of the, the, the group of people that were there. And we were always explaining, no, no, it's more than that. We're more than just the Revolutionary War. So it actually became a bit of a hindrance uh, in, in communicating. Mm. I mentioned your director of the Mattituck Museum uh, coming on around the time where uh, state spending on tourism has really declined. We're talking 73 percent since 2012. So what kind of impact has that been on your museum? And, uh, you know, how do you make up the difference? Yeah. So in t- in 2012, when they were rolling this all out, they had a really wonderful program and in the BECD that was a competitive grant program specifically for marketing and advertising. And we were fortunate enough to receive that grant, which enabled us to take our marketing budget that it was when I got here of $1,500 per year uh, to, and moved it up to about $65,000 a year. So that really the support of the state through that particular program had an enormous impact on our ability to market what we were doing at the museum in that first year. Uh, the next year, we got another small grant, and then the grants were gone as, a, as part of the, uh, the decline of uh, the investment in the tourism office. I do want to say that I think that the tourism office, through this whole entire thing, as their budget has gotten smaller and smaller, has continued to become more flexible and more strategic in spending those less and less dollars, and that's, I really commend them for that. But unfortunately, um, the state is being a little... Um, short-sighted uh, by, by shorting the investment in, in tourism because we have statistics that show that for every dollar that's put directly into tourism and our arts and culture, 
$7 is returned through the economic impact in our communities. So we've continued to spend our own budget uh, raising money here to, to market it at the sixty dollars to $65,000 level each year because we, we see that benefit not only as people coming through our doors, but people going to our restaurants here in town and staying in our hotels. Um, we, we, we know the importance of that, and, and we're continuing to scrape as much money as we can into that marketing budget. Um, and I would really love to see our legislature take what I think they think is a risk but is not a risk at all and really make a bigger investment back into the tourism budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Corris, again, Deputy Commissioner of Connecticut's uh, DECD. I mean, how do you make the case to the General Assembly? That to do what uh, you know, we're hearing from Bob and many others that they see that you sh- the state should be investing more. Yeah, well, this, the story is pretty straightforward, actually. You know, given that the legislature established the tourism fund uh, a couple years ago, and ten percent of all the revenue generated by the lodging tax is directed into that fund, uh, we can say pretty definitively that that lodging tax generates significant revenue. Ninety percent of it, in fact, goes back to the general fund, supporting a broad range of programs. And so, for every dollar invested, we do get that return, and it results in additional money coming back from this sector to the general fund. But in difficult budget times, it's still you still need to allocate that money up front, um, which is a challenge. I do want to just uh, piggyback on one thing that, that Bob said, which I think was so important that you know folks who come to the museum then have spillover activities in the rest of the community. And we just held our tourism conference last week with about 400 attendees. And one of our keynote speakers, uh, Roger Brooks, uh, talked about how you know the attraction is what draws the person to the state but the majority of their time and a majority of their spending is actually spent on other ancillary activities within the community. And so to Bob's point, you know, he's spending his marketing dollars to draw people into Waterbury, but the broader uh, economic sector within Waterbury is benefiting from those uh, tourists that he brings in. Mm. Uh, you mentioned the uh, tourism fund, about 10% of the lodging tax goes towards that. I'm looking at a report from the day uh, where there was the General Assembly's tourism caucus and members suggested that uh, lawmakers should actually divert 25% of that revenue. Uh, is that uh, feasible given uh, Connecticut's budget woes? So the uh, arts, culture, and tourism transition team uh, during the uh, you know the, the 2018 to 2019 gubernatorial transition uh, made that recommendation of 25%. Um, we as the office have been you know, open to ideas that others have come with, and we've continued to advocate to the Tourism Caucus and, and other members of the legislature uh, the, the benefit of this investment and the return, um, but are cognizant of the, of the challenges that they face. You can join our conversation today as we look at how the state should market itself uh, to tourists, 860-275-7266 to join where we live. Uh, Mike's on, uh, calling from Hartford. Mike, go ahead. Yeah, hi. I have a constructive criticism of the whole effort. Uh, Hartford, for example, let's use Hartford, has the best year I've ever seen. I've been here since the 70s. You have Cirque, you have baseball, you have soccer, you have the Bushnell, the Riverfront, 25th Anniversary Meadows, and on and on and on. But it doesn't seem that the cities especially coordinate their efforts to tell people that. There's a whole bunch of little organizations in the city who all do great work. But there's no coordinated effort, even the state to tell people that the state's capital has all these great things. And when people come to the capital, if we were to market it, they also would go to Waterbury. They also would go to the casino. They also would go to Litchfield County. We have a capital now that's got great stuff. And I've been involved in this a long time. But we don't tell anybody. What a mad thing. 
you know? Well, Mike, um, let, me get, uh, let me have David uh, respond. You make a great point. Too many silos. Yeah, listen, this is one of the challenges uh, of Connecticut is, um, you know, with 169 municipalities and, and a handful of regions, you know, we don't always work together across those silos, though I think a hallmark of the Lamont administration is kind of those cross-sector, cross-discipline, you know, inter-silo collaborations, not just within government, but between the public and the private sector. I would absolutely concur that, you know, the, the optimism and, and the trends right now in Hartford are, are incredibly encouraging. The one the one thing that I'll, I'll make note of is... Uh, the city has been really successful this year working with uh, the Capital Region Development Authority and the Convention Center in attracting conferences unlike that that we've really seen in a long time. Just now there's the, um, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it's about kind of manufacturers who contribute to the space industry global conference. And it's bringing people in from all over the world. We had a great STEM science conference um, not that long ago. And and when those events do come, I can say definitively that the state, the city, and the private sector work together to make sure that we capitalize on the fact that this captive audience is in our community for a limited amount of time, and we want to put our best foot forward. Uh, with us uh, today on Where We Live, David Corris, you just heard from Deputy Commissioner of Connecticut's DECD. Also, Bob Burns on the phone, director of the Mattituck Museum in Waterbury, Connecticut. And we wanted to learn more about place branding campaigns and other places, what lessons Connecticut can learn. So joining us uh, by phone now is Adam Sneed, senior associate editor at City Lab, focusing on city life and culture. Adam, welcome to our show. Thanks for having me, Lucy. So we were just talking about uh, Still Revolutionary, which was Connecticut's uh, marketing slogan. Uh, Officials have decided to uh, uh, let that uh, sit on the shelf now and to move forward. Mm -hmm. So when we think about place branding, you know, what are some of the things that maybe Connecticut and other places fall into that really aren't effective? Yeah, so one one issue that states, uh, many cities might have when they're trying to brand themselves is showcasing things that might be um, cool or attractive that really don't distinguish that place that you are marketing from other places, um, or maybe they don't necessarily offer the promise that uh, the that they can deliver when somebody actually comes to your state. Um, so one thing that you know, if I think specifically about Connecticut, one thing that stands out, and I believe one of the previous uh, guests has said this, that um, you know, revolutionary might have a connection to. Connecticut, Connecticut's history, um, but it's not the only thing that's happening in, in Connecticut. It's not the only thing, you know, history uh, that Connecticut has to offer. It's also not specifically unique to Connecticut. You have New England. You might also think uh, like Philadelphia or Virginia. Um, and so these are the sorts of things that, you know, as, as you're putting together whole branding campaigns, and especially if you're focusing just on a slogan, uh, you have a lot really that you have to distill. We've heard so many even callers that have called into this show say, I take pride in so many different things about this state that's not reflected here. Uh, and it, it's really hard to distill that in any way, but then also to say what makes this specifically unique to where we are. Now, Adam, is there any value in having a state marketing slogan? I mean, some states have them and some don't. Right. Yeah, there, there are plenty of places that, that do have slogans and uh, people might never know about it. Um, and then there are, I think, a few places that, that do it really. They've hit the bullseye um, with a slogan that really resonates with tourists, with outsiders, and also with locals. Um, I think that is a really rare occasion. Um, so, you know, the, the, the value of a slogan really, I think, is, is the value of the broader marketing campaign um, and just making sure that the slogan that comes along with it is, is supporting it in an effective way. 
Let's talk about some examples, Adam. Uh, you know, our neighbor, uh, Rhode Island, they had a state <laughs> slogan that didn't really work out so well. Tell us about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in 2016, there was uh, the state unveiled a new slogan, which was cooler and warmer. Um, long story short, it only was around for a couple of months. It was widely panned on social media. I think part of the problem and, and what people really focused on was um, the double meaning of cooler, of cool. Um, and to say that the state was cooler and warmer, people found that confusing. Um, the, eventually, you know, the, the uh, governor pulled the plug on it. The state's chief marketing officer uh, resigned over this, actually. I mean, it, it's, it's sort of a rare case where it goes so poorly. Um, Wasn't Iceland but, involved? Oh. Yeah, that's right. There, there was also a point, and this might go to the, the uh, maybe trope trap from before, is there was a clip of, um, I, I'm forgetting what it was, but there briefly in an ad there was a clip of something from Iceland. Skate, which, skateboarders, uh, I believe. Yeah, so, so, you know, part of the problem there is maybe the state was putting forward a vision of itself that it didn't even recognize at some point wasn't itself. And then an example, uh, so Rhode Island uh, didn't do it uh, correctly and got a lot of flack from uh, their own uh, residents, even mentioned a state official having to resign. But Virginia's one that uh, is that an example of something that's uh, a marketing campaign that's done well, Adam? Yeah, so I think Virginia has um, really a rare case here. So its, its slogan is uh, Virginia is for lovers. It's celebrating, I believe, its 50th anniversary this year. Um, and it's one that really resonates with locals. Locals take a lot of pride in this. If you travel around the state, you see it on signs, you see it on merchandise. Um, you know, p- people feel good about their place when they think about this slogan. And they might say like, yeah, this is why I live here. You know, I, I love my community. I love the things that are around here. Um, it's an interesting case because it's it's not maybe too specific. It doesn't have a strong promise in it other than you um, as an outsider might see it and think like, okay, yeah, I might maybe take a romantic vacation to the beach or the mountains. Um, you can see yourself in it, even if it's not delivering a specific promise. You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266, as we talk about ways Connecticut can market itself uh, to visitors. Uh, David Corus is with us. I'm curious if you could respond to some of the points that Adam Sneed from City Lab uh, made in terms of uh, ways that the states uh, can be more effective. So does this speak to uh, some of the things that you guys are thinking about as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first and foremost, I just want to say what a fan I am of, of City Lab and, uh, you know, what great points you raise. You know, you've, you've done some pretty interesting articles over the years emphasizing this this point that you make about emphasizing the unique. Um, and we focused on this at our, at our tourism conference last week, this idea that there's a lot that we can offer that's interesting and positive, but if other places can offer that same thing, we're not differentiating ourselves in the marketplace. And, you know, you make this point in, in one of your articles about, you know, focusing on that sort of Instagrammable location, right? What is the location in your community that people are posting as the picture? And, and that's a pretty good sign that that backdrop is something that they've identified as being unique and special and, and uh, serving up something that other places can't. And so this general idea of, of identifying the things that are unique, you know, Colin McEnroe's recent uh, column uh, emphasizing pizza, right? I mean, these are the <laughs> kinds of things that, that you know, may not make a, a broad campaign, but can be aspects of uh, a milieu that tells a story about what makes Connecticut, Connecticut. Join our conversation, 860-275-7266. Uh, Bill's calling from Old Lyme. Bill, go ahead. Hello. 
It's, uh, Bill, Bill Humphrey, can you hear me? Okay? Yes, go ahead. We have, we're short on time, Bill. Go ahead. Okay, I'm a member of the Connecticut Sports Advisory Board, and I'm a cyclist, and I am involved in cycling tourism, and I've tried to promote uh, the state of Connecticut through cycling tourism and made several trips to Europe and brought many uh, Dutch riders uh, to come and spend time in the New London uh, mystic area. And, uh, and the similarities between a small village in Holland and a small village in Connecticut is, is connected right away. So I'm curious as to uh, the northern European market is, just seems to be totally overlooked. I've talked to Mohegan Sun. Uh, they're after all the, all the American things and, and totally unaware that there's a light market just not that far away. Good point, Bill. David? Yeah, no, we're certainly uh, we're certainly open to that. We'd we'd definitely be interested to hear your ideas. We're looking uh, always at markets that that have the synergies that increase the likelihood of visitation. But I think more broadly, this idea of of bicycle tourism is something that that I've actually heard a lot about lately. Um, I was with someone recently in New York City who said that they and a group of folks uh, consistently take the train up to ride the hills of Fairfield and Litchfield County. And knowing that you're bringing people across the pond to do the same in New London is is really encouraging. And I think that's that's probably a niche that we could take a closer look at. Uh, Rose is calling from Portland. Rose, go ahead. Rose, are you there? Hello. Go ahead. Yes, go ahead. Yes. Um, I, I, um, I have moved from Connecticut. I've been um, living in Vermont for the last 10 years, and I do Airbnb. And one of the things that I find when I tell people, you know, oh, this, this attraction is two hours away, or this, this other attraction is three hours away from central Vermont, is that we don't have infrastructure. And in, in Connecticut, you have the infrastructure to facilitate someone to go from Hartford to, uh, to be in a museum to like a pastoral community in Woodstock or the shore within an hour, you could see an amazing variety of attractions. And that is, that is a real strength that Connecticut has. Well, thank you. Thank you, Rose, for your call. Uh, definitely that, that helps to be so close to many different attractions. But something that, you know, we've seen people raise and we've also noticed when we're traveling are things as simple as having rest stops open and not and welcome centers open 24-7. I mean, how do we fix that uh, problem, David? Yeah, so absolutely. I'm really glad Rose made that point. First and foremost, on the, on the rest area uh, point, you know, the governor uh, was very clear at the tourism conference last week that it's his intent to reopen them. Um, and it is included in, in uh, the most recent budget coming out of the legislature. So I'm confident that, that that will happen in the near term. To that broader question of sort of infrastructure networking together our offerings, uh, we believe really strongly that, you know, between our rail system and our highway network, we can stitch together our complementary communities so that they function like neighborhoods of something larger, right? Together, we can network together Essex and New London and Hartford and Waterbury and Norwalk so that they can collectively provide the scale of offerings that can compete with a bigger city. Uh, Bob Burns has been with us on the phone, director of the Mattuck Museum in Waterbury, Connecticut. Bob, what do you want to see moving forward? Uh, I, 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 you know, um, Connecticut people are, are ingenious and we are working together to, to do as much as we possibly can. I think uh, continuing to market the things that have grown out of this, uh, this lack of funding, the, the trails that have been developed, the wine trail, the beer trail, the art trail, which is celebrating, I think, 25 years now. These are opportunities for people to come to Connecticut, spend a week and see the world all in one location where you can drive anywhere in less than an hour. 
Um, so I think I would love to see the legislature put a little more of that um, uh, hotel tax towards tourism uh, and find another way to, to cover our other expenditures, uh, even just gradually incrementing up, like going to 12 percent or 15 percent. That would be, you know, a step in the right direction, because every one of those dollars that go directly into tourism and arts and culture is going to come back and, and pay uh, dividends. So. I'd love to. I'm going to do everything I can with the Connecticut Arts Alliance and with the Connecticut Tourism Coalition to support the work of the uh, DECD Office of Tourism and all the people in the state. Because the one thing is, we all do love this state, and we are all trying to make everyone else know why we love it and that they should love it too. Well, thank you again, uh, Bob Burns, director of the Mattituck Museum in Waterbury, Connecticut. Also with us, Adam Sneed, senior associate editor at City Lab, focusing on city life and culture. Adam, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Now, coming up, we're going to check in on a Midwestern state that knows how to have some fun. You can join us, too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. We're hosting our next coffee break at the John Bale Book Company and Cafe in Waterbury, Connecticut. That's next Tuesday, May 21st, starting at 11.30 a.m. We hope that you stop by. Tell us about an issue or story in your community that's not getting the attention it needs. And you can check out Where We Live's Facebook page for more information. Now, today we've been exploring how Connecticut should market itself to tourists. Uh, Jill uh, tweets, uh, I moved here from living after living in L.A. for 13 years. I don't understand why people complain about Connecticut so much. There are some issues, but to me, the pros outweigh the cons. Access to nature, arts, culture, and nearby states and cities are all pros for Jill. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more, Jill. Um, I wanted to go on now and to find out what else we can learn from other states. And uh, one of them is Nebraska, of all places. I know you're probably scratching your head, but they've taken a very different approach, and it's actually working for them. Uh, I want to welcome to our show John Ricks, Executive Director of the Nebraska Tourism Commission. John, welcome to where we live. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. So tell us about the slogan that Nebraska unveiled last year. Uh, Okay. Well, you know, um, we actually, I like to look at it this way. We actually kicked off a new campaign. Um, uh, and the, the, we did a boatload of research walking in because, you know, Nebraska uh, for many years has been the least likely state in the country for people to visit. That's according to the Portrait of American Travelers, which is a reputable piece of research. So we knew going in that we had to shake things up. Um, you know, when you're when when you're in 50th place, um, the, the only way to go is up. Uh, so, but we 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 really looked carefully at what was going on in the marketplace. And the biggest thing we did was we went out of state and built the campaign from the outside in. Now, what I mean by that is, um, yes, we listened to you know, our board and our marketing committee and, you know, the CVB Association and things. But what we really did is went out into nearby markets, um, for example, Denver, Kansas City, Minneapolis, Des Moines, and talked to people about perceived barriers, perceived problems that would keep them from um, coming here. And um, what we found out is there was a significant what you call brand apathy 
it wasn't pe- it wasn't that people loved us or hated us it was just indifference and indifference in the marketing arena is a really tough mm. problem and so you landed on nebraska honestly it's not for everyone what was Absolutely. the response um it's been kind of crazy <laughs> it went uh, viral we oh yeah we went um you know that story is fun and i'll briefly tell you you know we went um we had our conference in Nebraska City, which is a cool little place down in the southeastern part of the state. And uh, all we did really at 4:30 one afternoon is um, presented it to our industry. There was a little media there, you know, local media, Omaha newspaper, and things. Um, did a little media after that and pushed the button on the on the news release. And then, oh, hour and a half later, we started. You know, they have a governor's banquet and everything at these things. And um, by then, already social had blown up. Uh, and um, it went crazy for a month and a half-ish. Uh, so by the end of November, uh, we had earned media PR value uh, in excess of $7.2 million, and our entire budget is 66 uh, name somebody, you know, Colbert mm. had fun with it, uh, had fun <laughs> with it. You know, he, he was on and said, Nebraska, are you okay? And we answered him, sure, Colbert, we're great. And okay is really Oklahoma. <laughs> so the whole, the, the whole thing is, is um, uh, it has been a lot of fun. Uh, the self-deprecating humor, we tested all this stuff a lot out of state. And what we really did is we took the the perceptions of people in these nearby places, and I'll just go through some of them for you. You know, they call the place flat and boring, and flyover country, and there's no fun there, and and all these kinds of things. So, um, we have headlines and ads that say, for example, famous for our flat and boring landscape, uh, and then um, we pay it off in the in the body copy by just by just by just telling the real story. Um, well, we love yeah. that you've been able to have fun uh, mm-hmm. with it. And maybe that's something, David, that Connecticut should should think about. Yeah, well, I think it's great. And, and listen, there there are some similarities, right? I mean, what what uh, what he's saying about, uh, you know, perception of boring and flyover, you know, we could have that same concern of, you know, a pass through state between New York and Boston. And I think, you know, we will continue to reach out to the New York and Boston markets as they've done to get that sense. But this idea of kind of confronting pre you know uh, incorrect preconceived notions head on is is one that I think we can all learn from. Uh, we have a bumper sticker that Real Artways uh, made uh, in the newsroom that reads Hartford you could do worse. I mean same kind of uh, self-deprecating humor because we know that Hartford has a lot to offer uh, its residents and visitors. Uh, so I wanted to go back to uh, again uh, John Ricks uh, executive director of the Nebraska Tourism Commission. So obviously a success uh, but in terms of your residents, uh, are, are all of them happy about it? Oh no. <laughs> um, see, the, the no, we ha- we've had a little pushback, but we've spent now what five or whatever months it has been, and we've done a lot of community meetings, and we've done a lot of Rotary clubs, and we've done a lot of chamber meetings, um, because it's because the approach is so different. Some people thought that we were making fun of the place, and. We're certainly not doing that. What we're really doing, and we tell them this, is we're actually um, poking at the perceptions that people uh, have in the marketplace and telling them the truth um, and being very honest about it. Um, I think the thing that has resonated very well uh, is we knew going in we had to disrupt things. 
not this last year, but the prior tourism conference, we had had enough work done. Uh, we hadn't started the creative yet, but we had had enough work done to tell people at that conference, understand industry folks, that you and some of the other people in the state are probably going to be moved outside your comfort zone with this. But we can, you know, with brand apathy, you you just can't, you know, go along smiling and say, hey, we got nice museums, because nobody listens or nobody was listening. Uh, David Corus, again, Deputy Commissioner of Connecticut's DECD. Uh, you mentioned Connecticut's often seen as a pass-through through state. So, you know, how are f- officials trying, uh, you know, to counter that? Yeah, I mean, I think the short answer is we do it with our with our campaigns. You know, we're about to launch. Actually, we have recently launched the summer campaign, um, which is a just over a million dollar campaign that includes both in-state and, and out-of-state advertising as well as the digital um, to, you know, emphasize those things that make the state unique. Um, and we've gotten really positive response. And I think, as, as I stated earlier, you know, the data bears it out. We know that uh, the message that we're conveying is working and translating into visitation. You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266. Barb's calling from, Barbara's calling from Hartford. Barbara, go ahead. Hi, how are you? I love your show. Thank you. Wonderful slogan for Connecticut, brighten your mind in Connecticut. We've got Tort Museum, we have Twain, we have Stowe, we have writers, we have publishers, thinkers, Noah Webster, lots of wonderful writers here. So we should brighten your mind in Connecticut. We like it, Barbara. Thank you uh, for your call. Uh, David, so just to uh, reiterate, so the slogan still revolutionary, off the table, not going to be used, but you're not looking to uh, start a new one. You're still doing research. Yeah. And and the short answer is not necessarily. You know, when we think about some of the most successful brands globally, uh, companies like Apple, it's just the company name. It's just the logo. When you have enough brand identity behind it, you don't necessarily need uh, a tagline tacked on. And I think what we'll, what we'll be doing over the course of the coming years is continuing to gather research, continuing to hone our message, having campaigns that are specifically oriented to target audiences, to the season, for economic development, for tourism. There may be a tagline on some of those, just as Nebraska has done. There may not, um, but it's not a core component of the overall strategy. Uh, Chris is joining where we live. Chris, what's your question or comment? Oh, hey, how are you going there? I'm, uh, thanks for taking my call. Look, I just thought I'd call. I've been listening to this show ever since I got to Connecticut. Um, look, I've moved from Australia, actually, and look, I, I love living in Connecticut. It's a beautiful state. I personally think there's an immense amount of potential here. And look, driving through you know, places like Hartford and that, I think that, I think the problem is the world doesn't know about it. I think if the more the world actually knew about Connecticut, I think that would make one difference in perception. Um, and two, really just getting the message out there. I mean, you've got Bradley International Airport. You've got Europe on the doorstep. People should be flooding in here. Chris, thank you so much. And welcome to Connecticut. We're so glad uh, that you like uh, living here. Uh, David, when you hear these comments, do you feel like uh, the state's not doing enough? You have more work to do. Well, you know, we know that we're not reaching uh, the majority of our target target audience, even nearby in Boston and New York. And and that's really just a product of, of funding. And we could do so much more uh, both regionally as well as uh, internationally. Part of what we've done is, you know, piggyback onto larger regional initiatives. So we're a member of Destination New England, which allows us to jointly market internationally. Um, and I think we could do more. Um, but but what we're doing is is working. I think 
you know, if nothing else, it's so encouraging. And, and I think perhaps one of our target focus groups need to be people who have relocated to the state from elsewhere because they bring such a fresh perspective that's, you know, a little bit more optimistic than, than those of us that may have been here a little bit longer. Well, I want to thank David Corris again, Deputy Commissioner of Connecticut's Department of Economic and Community Development. Uh, we'll have to check in with you in a few months. Thanks yeah, again. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. Also, John Ricks, Executive Director of the Nebraska Tourism Commission. John, I have to say, Nebraska was never on uh, my to my list to visit, but now it is. So I thank you for joining cool. us and telling us about uh, your state. All righty. Have a wonderful day. <laughs> uh, today's show produced by Lydia Brown. Uh, thanks to our technical producer, Kion Wolf. Carmen Baskoff was on the phones today. And I'm Lucy Nalpathangel. As always, thanks for listening.